Listeners of the Black Girl Nerds podcast and followers of our Twitter account are probably pretty familiar with the fact that I am a huge fan of the Fox hit show Sleepy Hollow. I decided to go on to Audible and download The Legend of Sleepy Hollow by Washington Irving. It's narrated by Tom Meissen, who plays the role of Ichabod Crane on the Fox series show. What I enjoy so much about the Washington Irving story is that Tom Meissen is narrating it, and listening to his voice makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Yes, it really does. If you don't believe me, take a listen to this snippet. In the bosom of one of those spacious coves which indent the eastern shore of the Hudson, at that broad expansion of the river denominated by the ancient Dutch navigators the Tapan Zee, and where they always prudently shortened sail and implored the protection of St. Nicholas when they crossed, this name was given, we are told, in former days by the good housewives of the adjacent country, from the inveterate propensity of their husbands to linger about the village tavern on market days, for the sake of being precise and authentic. So go to audible.com forward slash BGM podcast and you can download your free audiobook. You can check out The Legend of Sleepy Hollow or one of many books that's offered in their huge catalog selection. Again, that's audible.com forward slash BGM podcast for your free audiobook. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. This is episode 57, aptly titled Cheska Lee, 29 Days of Black Cosplay, and Scary Stories. Three segments. First segment is interview with Francesca Ramsey, also known as Cheska Lee, all over social media. She's a YouTube star. She's a comedian. She's a writer. She's a host of MTV Decoded. She's everywhere. And she talks to us about how she's built her platform and also just what it is to be a woman of color in this space as a YouTuber. And in segment two, we talk with the women of cosplay. These are women who I've admired for a long time since I've been on social media and since I've built this platform of black girl nerds who are cosplayers. And 29 Days of Black Cosplay is the hashtag that will be trending in February. Oh yes, I've said it. It's happening. It will be trending in February. And it was coined by Shaka Cumberbatch. She joins us along with Jesse Green, Venus Noir, also known as Josephine, and Maki Roll, also known as Maki. And we talk about everything from how they got started into cosplay, what it is to be a woman of color in this subculture, and also what it's like building your own YouTube channel and your own YouTube audience 
as a woman of color in this space. So a lot of great information and discussion surrounding YouTube. So if you're someone that is a vlogger and you're just trying to get started or you need to figure out what kind of push and drive that you need to bring up those numbers, listen to this episode. I think you're going to get a lot of information. And then I inserted into this episode a scary story, a very short scary story, but a scary story nonetheless that was sparked off of a conversation that I had on Twitter regarding the Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark series that is now going to be made into a movie directed by Guillermo del Toro. I can never say his name right. Guillermo del Toro. And also there's a documentary that is in place for that as well. So so I decided to tell one of my favorite stories out of the book because I like doing story time on this podcast. I don't know. It's cathartic for me. I... I get something out of it. So you're going to listen to me tell yet another story, but this one is going to be a scary story. And it's very short and very brief, so listen in for that. So I hope you guys enjoy it. I think this will be a really fun, fully informational, entertaining episode. So this will be filled with infotainment. Yahoo! So episode 57 is coming your way. This podcast is hosted by Jamie Brodnax. The interview segment with Francesca Ramsey is co-hosted by Mel Perez. And the 29 Days of Black Cosplay segment is co-hosted by Tara Cook. Enjoy. Francesca Ramsey is a writer, actress, and video blogger based out of New York City. Her claim to fame was in January 2012, when the video, Shit White Girls Say to Black Girls, went viral. It garnered over 1.5 million views in 24 hours, and just 5 million views in just 5 days. Her YouTube channels have over 250,000 subscribers combined, and over 26 million views. The Cheska Lee Comedy Channel has a mix of song parodies, impersonations, and original characters along with socially conscious and topical comedy sketches. Cheska Lock's channel focuses on beauty, natural hair care, and styling. Her videos have been featured on MTV, The New York Times, NPR, Ebony Magazine, and the BBC. In addition to making YouTube videos, she's a writer at large for Upworthy.com and host of MTV News web series Decoded. Welcome to this segment of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host, along with co-host Mel Perez. We have a great guest, a guest that I have been a fan of for a very long time. She is very famous for lots of videos that you have seen on YouTube. I'm pretty certain that you've seen at least one of her many videos on YouTube. We have guest Francesca Ramsey, also known as Cheska Lee. Thank you so much for coming on the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Oh my goodness, thank you so much for having me. I'm sorry it's taken us this long, because we tried last year, didn't we? Or maybe before that. Yeah, yeah, I did reach out to you. I, I wanted to talk scandal with you. I oh remember gosh, that was out. a while ago then. Yeah, it's, <laughs> this has been a long time coming, for sure. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're here. And like I said, I've been a fan for so long. And it dates all the way back from when I saw your video, Shit White Girls Say to Black Girls. That was a while ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I am embarrassed to say how many times I've played that video over and over again. But it, it, it was so funny and it was brilliant. Can you tell us how and why the video was created 
And did your life do like a complete 180 due to its popularity and fame? Because it went viral quick. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, don't be embarrassed that you watched it numerous times. Like, I, I thank you for watching it numerous <laughs> times. You changed my life. <laughs> um, you know, that video was really inspired by the fact that everyone was. So everyone was doing parodies of Shit Girl Say at that time. And I really thought that I was late because Shit Girl Say happened in... November of 2011 and my video came out January 2012 so I really thought oh I've probably missed the boat on this and I didn't really have an idea of what to do until I went home for Christmas break and I was at a party with a bunch of people that I'd gone to high school with and this was for many of them the first time that they'd seen me with locks And I was not drinking at the party for whatever reason. And as the night went on and people got drunker, people started touching my hair and asking me just like ridiculous questions about it. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is the video. Because I knew, you know, the whole concept of shit girls say was that it was a guy in a wig saying all of the stereotypical things that girls say. Mm -hmm. And then there was shit black girls say, which was a very popular But I didn't really relate to either one of them. So I thought initially I really wanted to just be shit white girls say. When I told my husband, he said, but no one's going to understand what that means. You have to say two black girls. Otherwise, no one's going to get it. Ah. I thought, okay, but that's something that like that's not the meme, though. Like, that's not the same. And he was just like, whatever, it's fine. Like, people will get it. So, you know, it was really cool because that video kind of spawned the next iteration of the meme because then it became shit girls say to gay guys or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there was just shit white girls say to Muslim girls. Like it was really awesome because it resonated with so many people and I, I was not expecting that. And it completely changed my life. I mean, here we are four years later. People are still talking about the freaking video. I mean, it's amazing to me. That's awesome. So I learned something new. So then the Ship Black Girls video that was a parody, that was before your video? Because I thought they yeah. were parodying off of yours. No, 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 no. The first video was Ship Girls Say. And right. There are four episodes of that one, and they were hugely viral. And then all of the Ship People Say videos came after that one. And Ship Black Girls Say was going viral on my Facebook page when I was introduced to it. And then I kind of went down the rabbit hole. I think when that one came out, it had maybe like half a million views. And I thought, oh, my God, if I can make a parody of this, I can get a few views from this. Like, this could do well. You know, and I've been, <laughs> I've been making videos for like six years at that point. And I uh, was doing okay. But, you know, I had a regular job. I was struggling to do stand up and stuff. And so I, in my mind, thought, well, I can get two, I can get two or 300,000 views. That would be that would be amazing for me. And I had a million views by lunchtime. Like I posted it before <laughs> wow. work and then I had a million views and then I had six by the end of the week. And now it has 11 million views. So I had no, no idea, like just no idea at all. I, there's just, there needs to be a support group for people that go by. <laughs> <laughs> it is the most nerve wracking. You just, it's it's bizarre. And now it's so funny because now when my friends go viral, I get the call from everybody. And they say, what do I do? What do I do? And I'm, I'm like, so scared. I'm off the ledge. Yeah, because it's really overwhelming. It is just nothing can prepare you for it. We just launched our YouTube video, our YouTube channel rather today, BGN has. And I'm glad to have you on this episode because I, I do want to pick your brain here. What What has been the most challenging thing for you 
in YouTube digital streaming space and what has been the most rewarding thing? I think the most challenging thing for me throughout my career has just been consistency. I do everything by myself, which is a blessing and a curse. I'm I'm definitely a perfectionist, but you know, I put lots of hours into editing and I I wear many hats creatively just in terms of different work that I do, and so it's always been really hard for me to stick to a schedule. And a schedule is key when it comes to growing your audience. If people mm. know when they can tune in, if you make videos every Friday, you know, that's just going to help your audience tune in as if you're a television show. And that's something that I've just always struggled with. You know, I would just take like months off at a time because I, I always had a job or yeah. So I, I've always struggled with consistency. Uh, the most rewarding thing aside from just the cool things that it's brought into my career, it's just the people that I've met. I've, I've made so many awesome friends through YouTube, lifelong friends, people that I met online and then didn't actually meet them in person until years later. And mm. our friendship is just as strong as it was when I had never seen their face in person. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, YouTube was more conducive to building friendships. It's very different now, a little harder to navigate, and find random people. Awesome. And so so I picked up something that I didn't know about before. So you edit all your own videos? You don't have somebody doing it for you? No, I don't edit decoded, but I edit all of my own videos. Oh and wow. Yeah, it's it is it's a thing. I <laughs> I really I really want to get someone, but I'm I'm like nervous about it because I just I know what I like and what I don't like. And it's, it's scary to hand that control over to someone else. I'm so particular about everything, but I'm really right now I'm at a point where I just, I can't, I can't take it on anymore. Like it's just too much. What do you edit on? I use Adobe Premiere. Okay. And I, I love it. I, I went to school for graphic design. So I, I've been using Adobe products forever. I got the bootleg Photoshop in like middle school and, (laughs) And Premiere is awesome because it really integrates well with Photoshop and Illustrator and After Effects. You can make things in Photoshop, for example, and then pull them into Premiere and like animate them as if you don't have to be an actual animator. You can just make it in Photoshop. It's really cool. That's good. And that really helps with graphics and such, which I see in a lot of your videos. Exactly. Like if I do special effects or I don't do that much animation anymore, but every once in a while I would do... Like I did some stuff where I was like a talking Barbie for a Nicki Minaj video and I built that in Photoshop and then I brought it into Premiere. So all of that stuff is super easy to use, which is great. Awesome. Mel? Hi. Hi. <laughs> I'm also a big fan. I feel like the the shy girl who's hiding in the digital corner right now. I'm like, oh, don't look at me. <laughs> oh, like, that is honestly, that is so adorable. And I'm, I'm so flattered when people say stuff like that, because I just feel like the most normal of normal. Um, so that's, that's really sweet. <laughs> okay, so last March, you collaborated with Cat Black on your Sometimes you're a caterpillar video. So can you talk a little bit about what inspired you guys to make that video and you know the impact you noticed when you released it? So I randomly found Cat Black on Tumblr. I follow this Tumblr called F yeah Female YouTubers and they did like a spotlight of like LGBT YouTubers you should be following and I just like watched cats draw my life. 
And it is just, it is the most beautiful draw my life video I've ever seen. And I just thought I have to work with this girl. Like she's amazing. So I emailed her and I said, I, I had this idea for an animated video and could she do it? And so, um, it just took a really long time, like from start to finish. I think it took about like eight months. It's a gorgeous <laughs> video. Yeah. No, she, she went above and beyond. Initially it was just supposed to be her drawing in Photoshop. It was not supposed to be animated. She was just going to draw the characters and I was going to narrate it. And as she started working it, she said, I really think this needs to actually be animated. So I said, is that going to take you more time? And she said, yeah, a little bit. And she was moving and then her computer broke down and, and it was just like one thing after another, but she really plugged away on it. And I wanted to make it because I just, the video is about privilege as explained by this interaction between a caterpillar and a snail. And I just found that it was so difficult to talk to people about privilege. I thought if we can make it super accessible and not use people and not make it about race or gender or sexuality or physical ability or anything that people get defensive about. Maybe this will help people understand it and we will do it in like a super kumbaya, let's all love each other way <laughs> and maybe it'll work. And I, it was awesome because it, it did work. You know, it's got like um, half a million views on Facebook, I think. Wow. And, wow. um, and people really loved it. And I'm, I'm excited because I, I want to do more animated stuff. It's just, it's very time consuming. And, you know, I paid Kat. I, I, I didn't like, you know, I didn't make it rain or anything, but I told her I knew it could take a long time. <laughs> so, like, I spent money to make sure that it was good. And, you know, it's a three minute video that took months to make. So, Hopefully someone will just give me lots of money and I can hire her to do something bigger. That would be nice. Google, do you hear this? Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> okay. On your show, Decoded, you're telling Howard truths in an often humorous way. I love the social justice warrior video you came out with. Oh yeah, that was great. <laughs> There's a war going on out there and we need warriors. Social justice warriors! Megan! Are you ready to promote social justice, acceptance, and tolerance? Yes, sir! What did you call me? Yes, ma'am! You want to try that again? Yes! Gender-neutral pronoun! There may be hope for you yet, maggot! Oh, awesome, thanks. <laughs> um, how do you develop your skits? I mean, is there a writer's room? Are you just, like, at home with a notepad? What's going on? Yeah, we do have a writer's room. So um, I write the vlogs myself, which is me just in studio straight to camera. But we we really kind of honed the process for the sketches this past. We call them seasons, I guess. But, you know, no one else would know their seasons. But the first 12 episodes was season one. And then the Social Justice Warriors was part of season two. And uh, what we did this season was we really tried to think about what would make someone click on a video? And I think this is something that everyone should think about because the first season we had some really good sketches that people did not click on because the title was too clever, maybe. And I think, I you know I love puns. I love like nerdy, really niche jokes. And that doesn't always work on the internet. It, it does, but if you want to grab people, you have to be more broad and 
I don't want to say clickbaity because you don't want to deceive them mm-hmm. because then they're going to watch the video and they're going to leave. But it needs to have an element of surprise and intrigue and make you think like, what the heck could this be about? So the social justice warrior video is called social justice warrior trading video leaked. And that's just like a weird mix of like, what to the training video? It's been leaked. No one's ever seen this before. Social <laughs> justice warrior, you know. So for the sketches, we really this time around thought a little backwards. So like what will make people click? And then we built sketches around that. So um, we've got a really awesome room of like four writers and my producers and he doesn't direct all the time, but we have someone, Ryan, who directs every once in a while. And so we all just pitched titles and then we kind of worked from there. So once we have a great idea for a sketch, everyone, it's just like when you go out to dinner with your friends and someone makes a joke and then someone says, and then this happens, and then a dog comes in, and then the dog turns into a lion, and then the lion's like, what, bitch? And that's exactly (laughs) what happens. It's so cool. And I've never, I've never, because I'm by myself. And so sometimes I'll say, I think this is funny, but no one's here to tell me it's funny or say it's not funny and I just have to go with it. But in the room, you can say, oh my God, and then maybe these like cardboard cutouts come out and they say all lives matter and then you have to like punch down the cardboard cutout (laughs) and everyone says, that's hilarious. And then someone says, okay, and then this happens and they have to scale the wall and we just go as big as possible. And then um, we have my producer who takes care of the money and he says, no, that's going to cost too much money. We can't do that. (laughs) And then we scale back and um it's it is is the most gratifying thing to just shoot the shit in a room and then a month later make it and then a week later everyone loves it and shares it and it's all over my facebook it's just it is so cool it's amazing so i have a little problem with reading the comments Mm. (laughs) yes Listen, who told you to read the comments on my videos? Don't do that. How are you going to do that? Don't read the comments, but then I, I, I watch stuff, and then I find my, my <laughs> don't do it, but I can't stop myself from doing it. Right. Oh, so, it's really bad. It's, it's so bad, and you just see the worst of humanity, and I just can't stop. <laughs> so <I> was, <laughs> how do you keep up with your self-care with, so many people just being, uh, I was going to say something bad, but I'm not going to say that. Charts <laughs> on the internet. Yeah. And you not only deal, you not only deal with trolls on YouTube comments, I see you <laughs> dealing with the trolls on Twitter every day. So yes. it's like double duty. Yeah. How, yeah. So with explaining stuff to people. And I'm like, I can't do that. After the second tweet, like I, I just feel like my head explodes. I'm like the, the red guy from Inside Out. I'm like, I'm done. I'm angry. I'm not, <laughs> I can't talk it is, It's really hard. I think the thing is, is I don't think people realize I, I've been making YouTube videos for 10 years. Mm. 10. That's a, I mean, I trust me. If you look at comments on old videos, I was losing my mind. Like I was flipping out on people. My husband will tell you I was a mess. I was crying. I was so upset about these people. And, you know, they are, ugh, they are a very special breed. And I feel like I had a moment in my career where I had a shift and I realized that these people are actually very sad. Mm -hmm. And they're also, they also love me. 
You know, like these are people, I think Lindy West did an episode of This American Life that was about, she like interviewed a troll that had been trolling her. And I was listening to it in the grocery store and I was like crying in the cereal aisle. I was like, this is so cathartic because the (laughs) troll was literally saying to her how he trolled her because he hated her self-confidence. And he said, I was overweight and here you were a plus size woman who loved herself and you just were fearless. You would put yourself on the internet and I, I wasn't working and I, I just latched on to you and I just wanted you to feel bad. And I realized like that is what these people are going through. Like think wow. of what it must take. I mean, I'm telling you these people do, they started following me on Snapchat recently. I was like, you made a Snapchat account so you could send me a message and, and tell me that you hate me. Like that means that you have spent. Uh, first of all, you had to figure out Snapchat. That's hard. That should not easy. <laughs> exactly. I love yeah. Snapchat, but it took me like a month to figure it out. I still so haven't I figured it out. I gave, it makes me listen, feel old. Like I can't. <laughs> listen, I I am on like a one woman advocacy train for Snapchat. It's really cool. <laughs> I really love it. But you know, these are people that you know, like they download my videos and they re-edit them to make me say things I haven't said. What? And there's, there are Why? These people, I mean, I, cause, because they That's love so much effort. Me. That's so much effort. I know a girl, they made a video game where you could punch her. And I was like, you coded a video game because you hate this person that much? Like, no, you're obsessed and your life sucks because I, I, I do not have time. I don't have time to do those things. Like we scheduled this interview a month and a half ago, you know, like because I have shit to do, not focus on people that I hate. So I feel like when I started thinking about these people in that way, it started affecting me less because a view is a view. They tune in every Wednesday. They are so excited to watch Decoded. It's the highlight of their week. So I'm happy that they're watching, even if they claim to hate me. And you still and get paid either way. Like, that's the I thing. Still, and I still get paid. I still get paid. And I will say, I, sometimes, sometimes they surprise me. Like, I, I don't, en- I engage probably more than I should. But every once in a while, I get an email from somebody that says, hey, I trolled you. And I just want to say, I'm sorry. Like, some, one of your videos, like, broke through to me today. And I just... I realized like what I did was wrong. It's happened like oh, a surprising amount of times, enough mm. times that I think, you know what? This is worth it. They're watching. They don't understand. Something is drawing them back. And maybe eventually it's going to just like the light bulb's going to go off and they're going to understand what I'm actually trying to say. I mean, I don't, I don't know. That's that's the, the least I can hope for. Wow. I like it. It's like saving the internet one troll at a time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just, they are, I really want to have like a to catch a predator show, but to catch a troll, like I want to show up at their house. And that could just, be a nice decoded episode. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I, I've, I have had this idea like in my brain for the longest time. It's anyone, honestly, it's up for grabs if someone wants to do it. The main reason that I haven't explored it is I worry about opening the door for them to get worse because they sometimes it's like if you poke the bear like you get your face ripped off i kind of don't want that like i need my face to like, <laughs> <laughs> could be like holding a mirror up to themselves and they realize you know what i don't have to be like this 
I could be happy. Maybe it could happen. Maybe. Maybe it's a poss- It's a possibility. I'm gonna be Pollyanna about this. I'm like, yeah, they're gonna. No, get I like it. No, I I like the positive. I like the positive spin. I think I just want to be like in the production booth far away, so they don't know that I'm associated yeah. with the experiment. Are <laughs> 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 these people? Are. They're just like in a, another planet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you're a stand-up comic, so I was wondering, what do you think about comics like Seinfeld or Chris Rock refusing to perform on college campuses because of student sensitivity? So I'm actually, like, not really a stand-up comic anymore. I haven't done stand-up in a really, really long time, but I think it's really weird. I don't understand why comedians are so sensitive. I swear they are the most. They are the most sensitive artists. They're very and insecure, I've noticed. They, well, you know what? That is that is it. They are really insecure. And I say this as someone that did stand-up for like a solid four, four or five years, I'll say. They, they just take it so personally. It's really weird because they believe that they should be able to say whatever they want and that no one should be able to say anything in return. Right. And the way I see it is... A comedian's job is to make people laugh. And if people aren't laughing, then you're not doing your job. And so the times change. And I look at someone like Eddie Murphy. Like my friends and I tried to watch Eddie Murphy Raw recently, and we were just cringing. It was all like gay jokes. And yeah, it was, that's true. It was terrible. And I thought, this this killed like 20 years ago. And now it would absolutely not fly. And so... Jerry Seinfeld, you know, what Jerry Seinfeld was doing 20 years ago, I, I loved Seinfeld. Sometimes when I watch Seinfeld, I have moments of like, wow, all the people of color like overblown stereotypes. And you could get away with that 20 years ago. Today, people would call you out on it. And so if Jerry Seinfeld and Chris Rock, who I love, I, both of them are very talented comedians, their job is to evolve and create content that has grown with the changing times. And so when they say that they don't want to perform at college campuses, they are essentially saying that we don't want to perform for audiences that are intelligent enough to call us on our shit. And to me, that means that they're cowards because anybody can go to like a podunk town and to a bar and tell a bunch of jokes in front of racist bigots and get laughs. It's like that's not that's not hard, you know. Like just making fun of people that have faced centuries of marginalization and oppression, like that takes literally no talent. Your drunk uncle does that at Thanksgiving. Like I, I just think that if you are an actual comedian and you are smart, then you do the work and you say that joke doesn't work anymore. I'm gonna throw it out. I gotta write a better joke. And yeah. uh, and that's what good comedians do. That that was a mic drop moment right there. <laughs> I mean, when you say they elect not to perform in front of intelligent audiences, I'm just like, yeah, that that's yeah. it right there. Seriously. That's the truth. Yeah. Right. I mean, the Twitter cycle is quick, but Tumblr Ooh. never forgets. Ooh, <laughs> Tumblr has all of the receipts. Yes, it does. Tumblr holds on to everything forever, and they will will dig up a video from like 1972 of something you did wrong. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I have a love-hate relationship with Tumblr for that reason. But at the same time, if people were just more willing to acknowledge their mistakes. Exactly. That's all it takes. Just acknowledge that you said something wrong and don't deny it. Then 
the receipt situation won't have to come up. And the thing is, is like people, people genuinely apologize so rarely that when it does yeah. happen, like everyone like flips out. Everyone's like, whoa, they actually apologized. And then everyone gets over it. And then, you know what I mean? Like you just learn from the mistake. And like we all, sometimes you got to get dragged. You know what I mean? Like it happens. <laughs> I mean, that's the way you learn. That's true. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And you know, on that tip, I will say sometimes I wish that the people who are so intent on dragging everybody would remember at some point they had to get dragged, yes. that they had to learn at some point too. Cause I, sometimes I think people are just too eager to drag people yes. right. so that everyone can see them like dragging someone rather than actually trying to make that person learn something. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. Yes. Ignorance doesn't automatically make you a horrible person it just means you don't know once you find out if you still want to act that way then yeah you might be a horrible person but you know at least take time to tell somebody something mm-hmm. exactly right right so francesca what advice would you give to independent content creators that want to start launching their own youtube channel and garner the kind of audience that you currently have i know that's um, a loaded question because yeah. you have a huge audience so yeah you know <laughs> thing is like huge is so relative because Mm. I mean I'm flattered that you would say that but like I go I go to events and people don't know who I am I I I sit on panels with people that have millions of subscribers and people in the audience saying why is she there like she only has 200,000 subscribers she doesn't know so I mean I think that kind of the first thing that I would say is that success is relative and you have to make sure that you are creating content because you have something to say, not because you want to be successful. Because mm-hmm. I was making videos for six years before I went viral. And some people make videos for longer and never go viral. But virality is not a measure of success because lots of people go viral and you never hear from them again. So, you know, if you have something to say, then that's why you should be making content. And then that wa- that way, no matter what happens, you will enjoy the work that you're doing if a million people see it or a hundred people see it or five people see it. A lot of people nowadays get into making content because they want fame and they want to make lots of money and just does not always happen that way. And, and sometimes it takes 10 years, you know, even after shit white girls say, and I was freelance for two years and I went back and got a job. I couldn't, I could not pay my bills making YouTube videos, even though my videos were everywhere and people were sharing them. I just wasn't making enough money. And so if you're just doing it to blow up, like I got a, I got bad news for you. It doesn't work that way. (laughs) I would say the other thing is, is just to um, do your homework. Look at what other people are doing and, and really survey the market. I think a lot of times we just see a lot of people doing the same thing. Like I used to do beauty videos and I I really want to get back to it. But a large part of why I got burned out on beauty videos is like everyone has a freaking natural hair channel now. Yep. Everyone. And it's like, how can I do this? Make it different, you know? And so if you want to make videos about whatever it is or you want to blog or you want to tweet, like what can you bring to this space that no one else is bringing to the space? And what can you do that is going to help you get ahead based on what you've seen other people do. For example, February is Black History Month. There's going to be a lot of people making Black History Month content. Well, that's because Black History Month content does well in February. So maybe you should make some Black History Month content. But put your own spin on it so that you're not talking about the same thing everyone else talks about, you know? So I would say 
you know, do your homework. And I would say the last thing would be to collaborate, work with, work with lots of different people because you can learn lots of things from them and you can definitely grow your audience, but you also have to be realistic. You know, I always use the example that if you are a folk singer in your local club, Beyonce is not going to collaborate with you. Like you, you are no one. Like she doesn't know you. You need to work with another folk singer at the shitty little club you're at. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so if you are just starting your blog or your YouTube channel, you cannot send an email to some like really popular YouTuber and ask them for a collab. Like it's just not going to happen. But if you find someone who is the same size as you and they are doing something similar, like there's a equal exchange there. So there, there's a reason that they're going to want to work with you because you guys are both really small and together you're going to grow. So definitely collaboration is key. Such sound advice. This is great. Thank you so much for coming on. Before you go, I want everybody to know where they can find your content, social media shout outs, your YouTube channel on MTV Decoded, the whole nine, your website, shoot away. Awesome. I mean, I am Cheska Lee everywhere on the internet, and I know it is a weird name. It's not my fault. I got stuck with it because it was my email address when I was in freaking high school. Um, it's <laughs> C-H-E-S-C-A-L-E-I-G-H. That's me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr. And then my show, MTV Decoded, comes out every Wednesday on the MTV News YouTube channel and also on the MTV Facebook page. So please watch and share with your friends. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad I got to be on the show. I love you guys. I'm such a fan. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited for this show (laughs) and for thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Oh, you are so welcome. I can't wait for the episode to come out. We'll be back right after this brief message. selling shirts on TeePublic and there's tons of designs. You can choose our animated logos that you see on the website, including our BGN official logo and our For Girls Like Us logo. Tons and tons of our fans have rocked these shirts. They're putting them up on Instagram. They're tweeting them to me. Uh, They're putting it on their Facebook pages. They're plastering it all over the place. So don't miss out. Take advantage. Blackgirlnerds.com forward slash t-shirts. They're on sale right now for $20. Throughout the year, there will be sales, so always bookmark the site so that way you can check in to see when the latest sale is dropping. Shirt sizes range from small all the way to 4XL, so body diversity is on point with TeePublic. Every little dime that you put into BGN goes to help build this community and make it bigger and better and greater for you. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you to all of you that have purchased your shirts. Thank you to everyone that has been sharing them all over social media. It means a whole lot. So thanks for listening to this message and back to our show. The next segment is about a book that is very near and dear to me as a child called Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. I recently had a discussion on Twitter about Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark because I had found out that Guillermo del Toro is going to adapt 
the stories into a movie, which is incredibly exciting. As a Guillermo del Toro fan, I, I look forward to seeing this happen on the big screen. And also, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark has also been put together as a documentary as well. So it's getting a lot of attention. For those of you that have never read or even heard of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, they were published back in the early 80s, written by Alvin Schwartz, and the illustrations were done by Stephen Gamble. And if you ever have the opportunity to look at the original illustrations, because they did a 30-year commemorative anniversary of the books and and they had some new illustrations put out there that weren't the same as Stephen Gamble's drawings but if you look at the original books that were published back in the early 80s it's mind-blowing and it's definitely cringeworthy at best seeing these very scary characters and all of these various stories that are put together in this book so the book is a series of folk tales kind of similar to what we had done on an earlier podcast when I had told the story about a peculiar such thing from the People Could Fly stories. Those were African-American folk tales. These are folk tales from, from all over, but mostly rooted in horror. And they're very short, very succinct stories that you can read instantly. I mean, you could read the entire book within a half an hour. That's how short these stories are. Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark has made a huge impact on all of us. I really can't believe that I was reading these books as a child and thought that this was normal um, because the books are very scary. It's a series of three books. Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, More Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, and then Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark Part 3. In the book More Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, there's actually a story about how to conjure up a ghost. So, I mean, they actually give you instructions on how to do things like that, which is crazy, but this is what was in these books. And these are books that were found in the youth section of my library growing up and I even decided to go back to the library recently and borrow a copy and sure enough it was in the youth nonfiction section so if you do want to share scary stories to tell in the dark with your kids I think it's okay I think I turned out all right I think I'm a pretty normal person after reading these books but they they are very great stories so I decided I wanted to read one of them to you and the following story is called the girl who stood on the grave The Girl Who Stood on a Grave by Alvin Schwartz Some boys and girls were at a party one night. There was a graveyard down the street, and they were talking about how scary it was. Don't ever stand on a grave after dark, one of the boys said. The person inside's gonna grab you. He'll pull you under. That's not true, one of the girls said. It's just a superstition. I'll give you a dollar if you stand on a grave, said the boy. A grave doesn't scare me, said the girl. I'll do it right now. The boy handed her his knife. Stick this knife in one of the graves, he said. Then we'll know you were there. The grave was filled with shadows and was quiet as death. There's nothing to be scared of, the girl told herself. But she was scared anyway. She picked out a grave and stood on it. Then quickly she bent over and plunged the knife into the soil. And she started to leave. But she couldn't get away. Something was holding her back. 
She tried a second time to leave, but she couldn't move. She was filled with terror. Something has got me! She screamed, and she fell to the ground. When she didn't come back, the others went to look for her. They found her body sprawled across the grave. Without realizing it, she had plunged the knife through her skirt and pinned it to the ground. It was only the knife that held her. She had died of fright. is a self-proclaimed nerd geek weirdo freak that has taken on one of the most hated jobs in the world yet again. When she's not sleeping or eating, she can be found on Twitter at Simply T. Sunder or on her personal blog, T. Sunder Tsunami. Shaka Cumberbatch loves costumes, cartoons, cocktails, and cosmetics. She's a superhero cosplayer and a freelance journalist based in Dallas-Fort Worth, where she's always working on her next costume or hunting down her next story. Josephine, also known as the Venus Noir, is a relatively new cosplayer from Charleston, South Carolina. She's a self-proclaimed pop culture nerd and gaming newbie. On both her blog and YouTube channel, she tries to promote diversity in nerd culture. Maki Roll, known as the cosplay cutie turned burlesque beauty, has been cosplaying for eight years. The DC native has produced and performed in many nerdy-related burlesque shows, and uses her platform on important issues within communities in which she belongs. Jessie, known as the Butterfly Samurai, is a 15-year cosplay veteran and aspiring gaming industry professional from the Carolinas. She is dedicated to bringing more diversity content to conventions across the country. Welcome to this segment of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. Thank you so much for tuning into this segment. I'm very excited. This is a big deal right now because there was a hashtag that was trending on Twitter last year, and it's going to be trending again this year, called 28 Days of Black Cosplay. And we're going to find out more about the hashtag and the advent of how it got started, but I have four lovely ladies that are cosplayers that have been around for a while that are very popular in the comic con circuit i have shaka cumberbatch i have jesse green i have maki also known as maki roll and i have josephine also known as the venus noir here on the black girl nerds podcast thank you ladies for for coming on thanks for having us well, we're happy to be here by the way, Tara, thank you so much for co-hosting tonight. Appreciate you. Absolutely. I'm glad to be here. So I, I want to start first by having each of you introduce yourselves briefly and to tell us what role you play in the cosplay community and what got you started in this subculture. We will start in this order. We'll start with Shaka, with Josephine, with Jesse, and then with Maki. Okay. Um, my name is Shaka. I go by Princess Mentality Cosplay. I've been cosplaying since probably spring 2008. 
And um, I've just kind of been around. Like, they haven't kicked me out yet, so I'm still here. <laughs> I I don't really know what role I play. Like, I try, I really try to use um, my, I guess, my platform and, you know, whatever. If people are listening to me, I'm going to try to talk about diversity and cosplay. It's something that's very important to me because it's something, it's a struggle that I faced when I personally started cosplaying, and it's something that really upset me. And so it's something that I always try to fight against. So um, I cosplay, I write, I'm a social media specialist in my muggle life, and yeah. Cool. Um, well, I'm Josephine, better known as the Venus Noir. I've been cosplaying for a few years. I've been cosplaying since 2013. Um, my first convention was Dragon Con, which I is a pretty good first convention. <laughs> um Last year, I created a YouTube channel, and I've, I've ever since I've been really in love with creating like video content. Um, I love cosplay. I'm a huge like pop culture kind of nerd, and so I really try to promote diversity in cosplay and science fiction, and talk about diversity in comics and, and that sort of thing. So, yep, just a little bit about me. <laughs> Hey y'all, my name is Jesse. I'm known as Butterfly Samurai in gaming and in cosplay. I've been cosplaying since 2001. Uh, I think my role in the community is probably building the community, building the people of color community for cosplay. I've kind of been doing that since I started. I like to try to bring black cosplayers together and that's now extended to bringing just people of color in general together in the community. I got that mama bear. I'm the mama bear of the whole community. <laughs> yeah, that's a little bit about me. Hi, um, I am Maki, uh, also known as Maki Roll. I've been cosplaying since 2006. Um, and I'm also a burlesque performer. So I use a lot of uh, what I do in cosplay to also translate into my burlesque and um I guess my role would be similar to the other ladies. I just really like to take whatever social media aspects that I have and try to really talk about um, diversity in cosplay and also visibility uh, within both the cosplay and the burlesque community for people of color, really getting them noticed on a... Um, top level, like getting them invited to conventions and also getting top billing for burlesquers of color as well, because it's not that often that you see cosplayers of color, burlesquers of color uh, as guests anywhere. And so I, I try to advocate for that as much as I can and show that we can do the same thing that other cosplayers do. Wow, that's amazing. I'm like in the company of some of the best women in this industry. So thank you guys for, for being on this show. I'm very overwhelmed. So I wanted to know about this amazing hashtag that trended last year. Shaka, this question is for you because I saw you help trend this on Twitter and you had done interviews with several different outlets and I saw it featured in Comics Alliance and The Daily Dot, 28 Days of Black Cosplay. So tell us how that came about and what was the response to the hashtag? 28 Days of Black Cosplay is my baby. 
Like, basically, last year, it was probably early to mid-January, and um, I was sitting at home. I, I was in my kitchen, actually. I can remember exactly where I was standing. And I was thinking about how in February, for myself and a lot of my friends online, I mean, we just spend the entire month arguing online with people. I mean, it's just it feels like October and February are like the worst times of the year to be black on the Internet because just all sorts of just nonsense comes out. Like people just really decide to let you know how they feel about black people in February and in October. And I was like, you know, February is supposed to be a month of celebration. It's supposed to be a month of reflection, you know, thinking back on our history, everything like that. And I wanted to find a way to relate it to cosplay because I have gained so much from this community. I've gained so much from this hobby. You know, I mean, the majority of my black friends are probably black cosplay friends. I mean, like, it's crazy. Our black nerd friends in general. Like, it's crazy how many people I've met through this. And I wanted to try to find a way to kind of connect to and to celebrate black cosplay during Black History Month. Because there is a connection. And for people, for those of us coming up right now, like, this is our history. It's going to be part of our history. So um, I got a group of friends together on Facebook. I pretty much just messaged every black cosplayer I could. And I was just like, hey, y'all, do you want to, like, do something positive next month? like just some sort of positive thing you know like I hadn't even really all the way fleshed it out all I knew is that I wanted to get a bunch of black cosplayers together I wanted us all to share pictures I wanted us to have you know I wanted us to have our own celebration everybody was 100% on board we started throwing some ideas around so I was like okay I'm gonna put together a Facebook group and you know put together a schedule we'll you know start talking about you know when we're gonna feature people when we're gonna share people and I made a group on Facebook and I had no idea it was going to blow up the way that it did. I mean, it just, it started with just, you know, everyone wrote little features about themselves. And then, like, we would all share them on our Facebook pages. I started copying them over to Twitter. And that's when, I mean, everything really exploded. I mean, Twitter just took it and ran with it. I was so just my heart was just swelling all month long watching all of the tweets pour in like people were just sharing their cosplays people talking about oh my god I didn't realize I could actually do this like people look really good I mean just so many people were like tweeting me all month long like oh my god I'm gonna start I'm gonna try cosplaying now like we convinced people to try cosplay for the first time last year and that is amazing to me especially since like I know when I was starting up I didn't know you know for the longest time like what would look good on me if this was really something that black people were like welcomed into you know it took me having to read through like this a million page long black cosplayer thread on cosplay.com that Jesse had actually started years ago you know to see like I, I needed that I need to see us represented I needed that representation and that's what 28 days of black cosplay is about it's about representation and I'm so glad that people responded to it the way they did last year you know I started getting questions in November of this year on my cosplay page like wow. are you bringing it back is it coming back and I was like obviously <laughs> <laughs> But no, I'm just, I'm so happy that people are responding to it. It's a lot of work. I've been for the past several weeks um, organizing cosplayers in the Facebook group. Um, their cutoff date is actually tomorrow to submit all of their information for the quote unquote official features. And also for, you know, some features that we're doing, I'm doing with you, Jamie, for BlackGirlNerds.com. You know, all, all month long, one of the biggest things I just want to impart 
you know, about it is that it's completely open to everyone. You know, there were some comments last year about how, you know, so-and-so people thought they didn't get invited to be a part of it or whatever. And it's never about that. It's not been about that. It's not some secret cool kids club, you know, the group's open to everything, everyone. If you don't want to join the group and write a feature, it's fine. Just use the hashtag and post your picture. That's all that's ever been required. That's amazing. It's, uh, it, it was phenomenal just seeing it trending on Twitter for so long and everybody being a part of it. Cause I remember seeing image comics mm-hmm. retweeting it and, you know, seeing all of these major publishing companies and, and people that were very prolific on Twitter, retweeting it and joining into the hashtag. And people were excited every time I would retweet it and go, wow, who are these mm-hmm. awesome cosplayers that are out here? So it, it, it's yeah. a really great a movement that you started. I lost like hours of my life last year, hours that I don't want back, but I would just sit in the hashtag and just like watch the tweets pour in. Like I would scroll back up to the top and it'd be like 58 more tweets. And I'm like, what? It was just, it was constantly pouring in. And I just, I loved watching it. So the next question is for Josephine. I know we're all pretty familiar with crowdfunding and raising money just so a person can either like help themselves out for whatever reason. However, it seems like within the cosplay community, there seems to be a huge influx of people supporting or asking for fundraisers to support them, whether it's for like making a costume to help pay for a con, what have you. Um, as a cosplayer, and you've been in the game for a couple of years now, what are your views on that? Like, do you think it taints the quote unquote spirit of cosplay? Do you think that in a certain situation, a fundraiser may be like good or kind of just what's your take? Um, I kind of go back and forth with it. Um, on one hand, it's not really my place to tell people how to spend their money. But on the other hand, cosplay is a hobby. If you can't afford your hobby, you don't really need to be doing it. Um, if you're having to decide between like a new cosplay or going to a convention and paying your rent on time, then you've got bigger things to worry about than your cosplay reputation. It also seems kind of lazy in my opinion. Like if you want to go to a convention, say for it, do room shares, host a panel or volunteer at the con so you can get free passes. Like there are so many ways to cut costs when you want to attend a con. And I don't think that Patreon or GoFundMe or any of those like crowdfunding platforms is the way to do it. Um, and costumes can be super expensive, but there are ways to affordably make costumes. You don't have to make like a million Warbler covered costumes a year. <laughs> like <laughs> I think there are ways to do it that you don't need to use like a crowdfunding source. Do you think that um, people like because for me, I, I cosplayed for the very first time. It was very exciting at Dragon Con this past year. And the first thing that was on my mind was budget. Like I did not want to spend over a certain amount of money to get this costume put together. So for someone that's just getting started, should they even think about going down that path and just focus on what is affordable and how creative they can make their costume to where they're not spending a whole lot of money? Well, you looked amazing, first of all, Dragon <laughs> Thank you. fantastic. <laughs> um, but I think that budget is a real, like, that's a thing. Like, you're an adult. You need to know how to make, you, know, you need to know how to make, to budget for things. Um, and I think budgeting for a costume is really, that's, I feel like that's the first thing you do. Yeah. 
instead of asking people to to pay for your expensive costumes like joann's and um hancock's fabrics like they always have coupons there are ways to like save on costumes so that you're not spending an arm and a leg so that you can spend it on a convention or something else that you want to spend it on but i don't think that you need to make like these huge elaborate costumes to be a legitimate cosplayer to be like a successful cosplayer and i think that's the issue people are having like they see these cosplayers go to conventions every weekend and they see them making new costumes every two weeks and they want to do that but they don't have the funds or the audience for that and so then they end up crowdfunding and it's just Hmm. it's just silly in my opinion (laughs) I feel like it's the less glamorous side of cosplay that you don't really see. And like, I'm a friend, I'm friends with a few of you on Facebook where I follow like your page and I'll hear and see about like you all saying, well, I'm staying up until God knows what time in the morning to work on this costume. Like you don't really see the really, really cost famous people saying the struggles that come in behind it. If you choose to like either make your own costume or even the amount of money that you spend to maybe get a really nice costume made. So like everything there's a really pretty side of it it's like oh my gosh this is amazing but there's also the less pretty side when you're half asleep and still sewing (laughs) if i can add to that that's a really good point because a lot of people don't talk about you know the fact that okay you've got this costume you're trying to make from this con but you work 40 hours a week so you only have so much time between when you come home from work and you know, you've got to work out, you've got to make dinner, you, if you have a pet, you got to take care of your pet or whatever else you do. You know, there's oftentimes there's a very small block of time that you have that you can work on things. And I think that because cosplay is so visual and it's so glossy on the exterior, a lot of these newer cosplayers, all they're seeing is the work, the results, but they're not seeing the work. And so they don't think that it exists. So they think that they can take shortcuts by having people pay for their costumes or, you know, what have you. And like, you know, like Josephine said, like, I'm not going to tell you how to live your life or how to spend your money. But I think a lot of the problems that people are having with it is because back in our day, you didn't have like a GoFundMe to have people like pay for your costumes. You had to save your coins and go to Joann's with like 80 coupons and all of that. (laughs) And I just feel I have a lot more pride in my costumes because I paid for them all and I slaved over them all than I feel like I would if, you know, if, if it was all given to me. This question is for Jesse. Jesse's also known as Butterfly Samurai. I had noticed on Twitter that you were putting out a lot of stream of tweets regarding support and its lack thereof in the YouTube space, specifically for women of color and vloggers such as yourself, why do you think that there is not enough support for us out there in YouTube? And what can we do to change that? Yeah, um, I get in trouble a lot on Twitter, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) So do I. (laughs) Goes with the territory. um, More in relation to like nerdy, geeky girls, because there are women of color on YouTube that are doing their thing. You know, there's six women of color that have over a million subscribers. Now, hmm. five of those are beauty YouTubers. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. When you go to 100K, over 100K, you open it up a little bit more. But the majority of them are also beauty bloggers. Akila, Smoothie Freak, she's at 109. So, you know, she's kind of a nerdy girl. I did an interview with her back in 2014. 
and she only had 33,000 at that point. So she's obviously grown a lot in about a year and a half. Mouse J is at like 577,000. So there are some that are up there, but in the nerdy, geeky girl community, there aren't a lot of us up there at that point. And YouTube is a beast. It's, it's, it's difficult. It's, it's much harder than Twitter and Facebook. You got to be consistent. You got to put out good content. But one thing that would help is the community sharing it, showcasing these different women of color that are geeky and nerdy that are putting out these videos, because that's one of the big parts of YouTube is the person makes the content, but the content has to be pushed by everyone to get it to be seen. Right. There are a lot of girls around the 100 to 1,000 mark, 2,000, that are doing really good work, producing really good content, but I don't think it's being seen, and we need to start sharing them a little bit more. What When you say sharing them a little bit more, what what steps can we take? Should we partner up with bloggers, podcasters, maybe people that are not necessarily a part of the cosplay subculture? What can we do to make that push happen? Yeah, we definitely need to start sharing it up on Twitter, Facebook, which is a different, we know how Facebook algorithms are, but liking their content, commenting on their content, all of that is stuff that we can do in order to push it forward and collaborating with each other so that, you know, we're bringing together two different fan bases into one so that, you know, my fan might see it. And then whoever's in the video with me, their fans will see it. One of my favorite channels is Pretty Brown and Nerdy. And I think all of us here know mm-hmm. Pretty Brown and Nerdy. Cheyenne, Camille, Jasmine, they've formed something really special. There's three different girls on one channel, three different fan bases coming together. They have these dynamic personalities and they know what they're talking about. And I think their channel is a good example of what can be done to help push women of color forward in YouTube. Tara, I think I had stepped over your question. Sorry about that. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) So my question is for Maki. All of you all are very cost famous, especially in the realms of people of color, of course. Um, Have you noticed any less racism in the world of cosplay over the past few years, especially now that color, uh, excuse me, cosplayers of colors are becoming more outspoken. They're more predominant. I mean, just with 28 days of cosplay, obviously there is a huge push that's being made. And I'll speak for even myself, to be honest. I didn't even know if that many cosplayers of color until Probably I would say within like the past two years, give or take, maybe even the past year or so. So have you noticed any less racism or any more racism just because you also have really large platforms available to you? I would not say that there's any less. I just think that people are becoming more aware and with the more visibility of people of color and the cosplay community, there comes more of the well why does there need to be a 28 days of black cosplay why can't there be a white cosplay or you know just things like that and then it opens up the questions of black facing and all of that and what's really i think good about it the the silver lining and all of that is that you do have more people of color talking about this and creating the conversations and asking the questions, you know, uh, asking why is blackface okay? It's not okay. But 
because there were so few of us in the past. You know, we didn't want to step on anybody's toes. There are only a few photographers. There are only a few people that you could connect with. And you didn't want to say, you didn't want to ask why there were photographers that only shot white cosplayers or only shot Asian cosplayers. And now that there are more of us, we are asking these questions. And we're we're not really demanding, but we're we're kind of, pushing the issue and making people reevaluate their themselves. And a lot of the times it can be positive, but sometimes it's also very negative. You have those who will say, you know, well, I'm black and this doesn't offend me. Well, it doesn't matter if you're that one or 10 or even a hundred black person who is cool with it. The point is that it does offend a great majority and if it is a problem then it shouldn't be that we as cosplayers of color are the problem or we are making an issue the problem is within the community and I think that now because there are so many of us a lot of that is attributed to 28 days of black cosplay there are more of us asking these questions and therefore getting people within the community to reevaluate themselves and reevaluate these situations. There are much more, you know, photographers that are coming out and saying, you know, this is a problem. This is something that I would like to fix within my portfolio. There are people who don't even realize that they are participating in microaggressions, such as saying, oh, you are the black version of this character, mm. you know, People don't realize that that's, that's offensive. By opening that conversation and creating a, um, creating a space for that conversation to be had, you do stand the chance of opening somebody's worldview up just a little bit more. I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up, Maki, about the black version of this character or that character, because I think even us as, as people of color, we kind of perpetuate that. I know I have. Like, for example, at New York Comic Con, I saw this guy dressed up as Captain Britain, and I had to catch myself by calling him the black Captain Britain because that you don't really see a lot of black folks dressing up as Captain Britain. By the way, for those that you don't know, Captain Britain was in the comic book Excalibur, and he's this blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy. So I, I didn't I, – I haven't seen that before. So I had to catch myself. And not refer to him as the black Captain Britain, because that is offensive. Um, so, so thank you for bringing that up, because I don't think even people that are maybe not, you know, that involved in the cosplay community don't know that that can be offensive to some cosplayers. Uh, I had a friend also that dressed up as Link from The Legend of Zelda, and they were calling him the black Link. And uh, he didn't like that too much. So so, so thank you for, for bringing that up, because I, I don't think a lot of people are aware, even though they have the best of intentions, that that can be you know considered a microaggression. I have one more question, and it's kind of out to the general public. So 
any one of you ladies feel like answering, by all means. So where do you think you'd be without cosplay? I know some of you use it as a mean of opening other doors, like Maki, you said you're a cosplayer as well as a burlesque performer, who is amazing, by the way, and you should probably see if you're in the D.C. area. I'm just going to toss that out there. Um, But you also probably have used it in other forms or versions of what you do in your life. So do you think things would be the same or different had you not started cosplaying and, like, met the people you met or gained the followers, that sort of thing. So as Sarah said, I am also a burlesque performer. And as I said earlier on, I take a lot of what I do in the cosplay community. And, you know, I I think about when I'm making my costumes, I think about, hmm, can I make this into a nerdlesque act? And through that, because of how... I started as a cosplayer first. I've been trying to bring my own unique spin to nerdlesque shows and just really trying to get people out who can appreciate nerdy content for nerdy content and not as just some novelty thing that you do to make money. You know, really trying to engage my audiences and you know, just try to get them into the spirit of enjoying burlesque and also while still enjoying their fandom. First of all, I, I just want to say thank you guys so much for, for coming on to the show. I, I learned a lot. I'm very excited for 28 Days of Black Cosplay. I will be retweeting. 29, 20, 29 days. Should, here. Yeah, well, should it be renamed or is it going to be renamed? Well, that's the thing. Um, since it's generally 28 days in February, um, I'm going to be monitoring both hashtags. So, like, I understand that people use 28 days, but officially um, I'm trying to put out there, I'm asking people to please use 29 because we really want to celebrate that extra day this year. Ah, okay. 29 mm-hmm. days of Black cosplay. Yes, so that's the hashtag I've been using for the past couple weeks and talking about preparing for it. So that's the one we're going to be pushing. Awesome. Before we go, I want each of you guys to tell us where we can learn more about your work and give us your social media shout outs. And we'll start with Shaka, Jesse, Josephine and Maki. Okay. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I am Princessology. I'm also Princessology on Snapchat, Instagram, Periscope, pretty much everywhere, Pinterest. Um, I'm on Facebook as Princess Mentality Cosplay, and I'm also on YouTube as Princess Mentality YouTube. You can find me at ButterflySamurai.com. I'm also Butterfly Samurai on Twitter with one T. Thank you, Xbox, for not allowing 17 characters. And, um... Yeah, I'm Butterfly Samurai, mainly with one T everywhere, so. Um, you can find me on Ven- TheVenusNoir.com. I'm TheVenusNoir on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all those cool social media places. And I am also on Twitter and Instagram as MakiRoll90, MakiRoll90. On Facebook, I am MakiRoll's Chop Shop. 29 days of black cosplay. Look out for it. So excited. I wanted to make sure everyone knew that this year we are dedicating 29 Days of Black Cosplay to Sierra Claiborne. Um, she was a black cosplayer who was killed in the um, California shooting that you may have heard about 
over the holiday came to my attention on Twitter that, you know, when the victim's name started coming out, you know, it, it started circulating that a black cosplayer was killed and I was just absolutely horrified. And um, I really want to dedicate this year to her. Um, so we're going to be trying to share her pictures as well. Some of her friends have sent me some of the stuff she's done. So I just want to put that out there that she's kind of, you know, kind of dedicated to her this year. Thank you for that. That's, that's very, very nice of you to say and, and very precious to um, honor that in her memory. And thank you for bringing that to my attention. Uh, it got a lot of retweets on Twitter and I donated to her GoFundMe for her memorial service. And, and I saw that many other people did as well. So thank you for doing that. No problem. On Twitter, check out the hashtag 29 Days of Black Cosplay. Also, check out Support Black Podcasts. Use the hashtag along with this episode and let us know what you think.